Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Laura Jost, Vice President of Content for the American Journal of Managed Care, and today we're bringing you something a little different with part one of a two-part podcast series on health equity in the treatment of psoriasis. Back in December, we hosted a panel discussion focused on health inequities in the treatment of psoriasis across all skin phototypes. As a follow-up to the series, we would love to present a conversation between two of our guests. Dr. Ryan Humschild, Director of Pharmacy Services at Emory Healthcare and Winship Cancer Institute, and Dr. Brian Buckley, Director of Health Equity Initiatives at the National Committee for Quality Assurance. They will further discuss how providers can address disparities in care, specifically with race, cultural, and ethnic backgrounds in mind. Hello, and welcome to this AJMC podcast program titled Bridging the Gap in Healthcare Inequities, Considerations in Treatment Selection. My name is Dr. Ryan Humschild, Director of Pharmacy Services at Emory Healthcare and the Winship Cancer Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today in this discussion is my colleague, Dr. Brian Buckley, Director of Health Equity Initiatives at National Committee for Quality Assurance. Today, our expert will explore opportunities to bridge gaps in care when selecting treatments for patients with a focus on skin conditions. Thank you, and let's begin. Well, let's first get started talking about the NCQA's Health Equity Accreditation Program. Dr. Buckley, I know you're an expert in this area, so if you could give us an overview of the program and then maybe go through what are some of the major obstacles or challenges across health equity that you've experienced and seen And how does this initiative work to bridge those gaps in care? Yeah, great question. Um, And so actually, I like to always say it's actually the NCQA Health Equity Accreditation Program. So we actually have two. And this is actually important. So we have our Health Equity Accreditation Program and our Health Equity Accreditation Plus Program. And many people might be like, why are there two different programs, right? Um, So the first program, the base program, is really meant to looking inward. And one of the things that we felt was really important, especially as we are creating this accreditation program, is that the only way you can do really good health equity work externally is you have to kind of look at your own internal hood to do that hard work. And so the accreditation program really focuses on internal culture, understanding what are you doing equity-wise around staffing, training, recruiting, hiring, um, collecting um, demographic data on your population that you serve, and for our accreditation programs, therefore any healthcare organization. So you could be a health plan, you know, healthcare delivery system, an FQHC, but really how do you think about collecting the demographic data that is gonna be meaningful to actually addressing the inequities within your population? And then really focusing on where do you wanna start? Our, our, Our programs, I like to look at it as very much a framework for how to start. Not too prescriptive where we're like saying you need to do X, Y, and Z, because we realize as we think about health equity, to some degree, we've never lived in an equitable society. And so it does require a little bit of a growth mindset, new learning, um, really PDCA cycle, quality improvement cycles to actually getting there. And then um, really um, broad enough 
to where we're giving you a, a holding environment. And I'm a, I don't know if you're a big fan of like Ronald Heifetz's adaptive leadership, but he'd always say kicking up the heat at a rate that people can tolerate. The framework is really meant to put that heat up on you to make sure that you can progress, but within a really create guidelines. Our PLUS program takes it to another level on how do you work with folks outside of your system. And so the PLUS program focuses a lot on um, cross-sectoral collaboration. And really, how do you view partnerships? How do you build trust and being a trustworthy organization? And then how do you think about interoperability and really building in those mechanisms for trust? And so that is like an easy, quick viewpoint of like our programs. But the obstacles, I think I kind of mentioned to some degree, I think you don't want to be um, too prescriptive because that is where there's so much evidence and learning that's happening over the past two years around health equity and continues to grow. And so I think sometimes the hardest part as a challenge for us sometimes is keeping up with the evidence and making sure that we're even starting to think about you know, our health equity accreditation, you know, 3.0. Um, next iteration, next iteration, learning from other people and making sure that we can have some concrete examples uh, for folks as they evolve and as we evolve as an organization. I mean, that was so incredible to hear everything you're doing. And I love the way you have the programs and you're taking it to the next level. And I think that's really what we need. I mean, as we care for such unique patient populations, how do we incorporate that into our thinking? How do we include social determinants of health um, to really improve care? Because and I still feel like there's a huge opportunity. But from what you said, we're actually taking kind of initiatives and creating a framework for success that'll help organizations see uh, life through that kind of lens of health equity, which is so important. And, you know, kind of building upon that, how do you foresee the future of healthcare inequities changing with a lot of this work that you're doing and that we're trying to infuse within the health plans, the healthcare um, treatment and, and healthcare delivery systems? Yeah, um, I guess what I see for the future, because um, I get this question quite a lot and it's always kind of like, what's the story we're gonna tell of ourselves of the future? And so when I think of the story of the future and how this program and other programs that we're working on and research and so forth is going on, we hope that this helps to build more authentic partnerships in, um, in the healthcare space. Health equity is a team sport. There is no one person is going to fix it all. And so we really hope that we're maximizing the collective intelligence, the full collective intelligence of our communities. Um, looking at how do we think about co-creation and co-development and co-implementation, I hope that we'll be able to harness data a lot better because organizations are doing the hard work of collecting, trying to align with, you know, the OMB standards around race, ethnicity, and so many other demographic um, um, capabilities, making sure that we're harnessing that data and being able to actually look not just as things in like one dimension, but actually looking at the intersectionality of data to really truly see the robustness of where you see um, there are inequities within your community. And then last but not least, I think capacity building and community networks, that there will be a deeper intentionality into the work that we do around partnerships, collaborations, um, and building those hubs uh, to really, at the end of the day, help serve the patient and their families. I really like that word you said about intentionality, because, you know, being intentional is really that first step. And it's gathering the data being actionable about it, making changes. And, you know, one of the biggest areas that I feel like 
there's area for opportunity is really skin conditions. Because when I think about when we're treating that, skin conditions have a high rate of health inequity. How many people are medical students or physicians or pharmacists or healthcare providers being trained uh, to be considered of many different types of skin colors, um, backgrounds of individuals? And I think, you know, it's unique and it's something that we need to infuse more opportunity, more education from a variety of aspects, right? Not one dimensional, like you said. Um, so if you could maybe, you know, describe the patient journey for patients with skin conditions and really how skin conditions can result in health inequities. And then if you could further, just how does that health inequity impact the diagnosis and treatment of skin conditions across the different skin phototypes? Yeah. So, um, as I always like to remind people, this is a part of uh, a little area of expertise I do have actually due to some past work I actually did around diagnostic safety when I was at my previous employer. Um, and we can talk more about that. But we know that skin conditions often have significant impacts to people's quality of life. Um, and specifically when it comes to vulnerable populations that may not may lack access. And so this kind of gets into the demographics in place and how those impact the patient journey. One, there may not necessarily be access to proper education around skin conditions and how and even resources on how to find. Like I even remember hearing actually stories from when I was working with in a healthcare delivery system of folks didn't even know the person that they should be really reaching out to to actually look to, do I reach out to my PCP? Do I reach out to a dermatologist? And so I think just the healthcare ecosystem can be super confusing. That can cause its own disparities because people don't know where to go. We also have um, certain populations that might be more prone to skin conditions because we know place um, impacts skin in so many ways. And so there's a lot of environmental factors that can also contribute to um, inequities. Um, or even genetic, um, different uh, um, genetic um, variations that might also be impacting for skin conditions as a whole. And so, and then last, what I would say is there's also a lack of education sometimes from healthcare providers in many ways to understanding the different types of skin conditions. I also, um, and this kind of goes both ways, both for the patient education, but then also the provider education. Um, I often think of for example, an easy one like skin cancer. Often when it comes to Black patients, although they might be a lower rate of diagnosis of skin cancer, um, they do, when it is actually caught, it's at a later stage. And it's like this whole idea that, oh, well, if I have darker skin, I'm not going to get skin cancer in the sun. And so it's also unwinding some of these narratives that we have within our communities, but then it's also how to engage with the, from the provider side on really engaging that provider, um, that patient on knowing what their risk factor is. I think the next question is just, um, how does health inequity impact diagnosis and treatment of skin conditions across the skin phototypes? And I do feel like you hit on that when you were talking about, you know, skin cancer, and maybe it's not kind of the narrative we're all used to, but how do we make sure that we're still going through that screen, have an equitable uh, approach to care, and we're thinking of unique patient populations, even if they may not be the most prominent ones that are always most of the textbook situations. Didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to add to that. Yeah, I think the one thing I'll probably just stress, and I often tell people uh, most of how I approach healthcare is from a pu uh, public health lens. That's where my training is very much from. Um, but just understanding socioeconomic status, geography, and really systemic bias that also is riddled throughout the healthcare system as a whole. 
Um, these are all things that also lead to areas of lack of access, lack of understanding when it comes to skin conditions. You know, I want to build upon that a little bit further because I think it's such an important point. You know, when we think about social determinants of health, we think about diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, we really want this to be on the forefront. I know when I practice in Atlanta, this is something that I really think is a huge opportunity for us is how do we continue to expend equitable care into patients that might have transportation vulnerability or financial toxicity, or even, as you mentioned, some of that educational background where they weren't taught to look out for some of these uh, public health concerns um, based on who they are. But I guess the question for you is, Dr. Buckley, with your experience, what should the focus for providers be to mitigate disparities in care and treatment selection? Yeah, so one is, I think I've already touched on it, education. Education is key, but also know that education is a very weak intervention. It's a, a part of the, the bigger puzzle, but education definitely can go a long way when it comes to both um providers understanding better about different skin conditions as a whole and how to engage patients with different skin conditions. I think cultural competency kind of goes hand in hand with that side of education. Uh, one of the things I think is, um, I also get the opportunity to be um, an assistant professor at Georgetown and working actually with med students. And one of the things that I often tell them as we're talking about how to build really your, your cultural competency you know, muscle is you have to go where people are. And so one of the things that we do is we actually have our med students go out into the communities, talk with people, talk to faith-based leaders, work with community-based organizations to actually understanding um, patients and, and really their families from a different lens. And so I think that's a piece of that education, cultural competency, going to the Gemba approach. Um, also, when it comes to mitigating disparities, I would also say just access to care. Really for the, and I'm going to put it from this way, this kind of looks at from the health plan or practice perspective, but also the provider advocating, what does the network response look like within a community? Um, and this is where physicians actually have quite a lot of power. They may not have power to changing the system, but they can advocate to the CEO or the chief operating officer of, do we have providers in the right places within our community and at easy touch points to access a care building off of what you said around transportation. You know, are we putting a practice in a location that doesn't have easy access to transportation? And so it's really going with that intentionality. And I think often, uh, which is a systemic problem, is just making sure that there's more diverse, um, diverse patients when it comes to research. Because often when we talk about um, a lot of medical care, it's based off of, oh, well, this is what the research says, but we also know that there's a lack of minorities specifically in research studies and knowing that research only gives you one small piece of the full pie. And so you have to have that curiosity mindset to really working and co-designing what a care plan looks like with your patient, because they might actually see something and know something that the evidence hasn't really emerged up yet. I mean, I really love that, right? Because a majority of our audience is managed care executives, managed care medical directors and providers. And so when we're thinking about treatment pathways and coverage, you know, sometimes based on a unique patient population, it might be the most appropriate thing is to go to maybe a, a more costly therapy because it's going to give them a better durable response. And I think the more we can leverage real world evidence and increase 
um, our enrollment in those clinical trials is going to strengthen that evidence for those underrepresented populations. So I think that was such a great point. And I'm, I'm such a big advocate of visit well. So I was so glad you hit on it. And, you know, one thing you brought up is how do we connect with the patients in the community? And so I'm familiar with some programs where we do walk with the doc, where we go to that community, meet them in their local park, and we walk and talk with them. But we also recognize that there is um, some patient bias and mistrust within providers. So Dr. Buckley, my question to you is if patient bias and mistrust with providers exist, how can these providers address these obstacles that can be influenced by culture or even some of the ethnic backgrounds? Yeah, so this is where I'll pull um, from my life experience so far. And so maybe to even give the context of the life experience. Uh, one, my previous employer, um, when I was working with MedStar Health, uh, which is a large integrated health system in the DC area, actually got to work on some really cool research around diagnostic safety, which I think I mentioned earlier before. And one of the really cool tools that they they we worked on together was be the expert on you. It wasn't this idea that we had to have all the tools and have all the answers. And sometimes there is where the, the physician does need to kind of bring their education to the fold, but also having the opportunity to listen to the patient. And so it was be the expert on you. And we also had this other tool, which we called 60 seconds to improve diagnostic safety. It was this idea of having a pause to just listen to the patient, let them talk and explain what they're thinking. Often we're too quick to be like, okay, yeah, we know the answer to that. Or, but really just sitting with them, it can have such improvement into their care and be able to build trust. I always tell people, think about the friend that you, you trust the most. What's the thing, the characteristics that they do? They listen to you and they deeply listen to you where you know, like you felt heard in many ways. Second, I got to do a lot of cool work with um, when I was working at a health plan, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. I used to do a lot of work around serious illness. My dissertation is actually on like bundle payments for serious illness. But even in those, you still have a similar conversation around trust, especially when we were talking about palliative care, because trust came up there too. And so there's also this idea of having this open communication and even building that cultural competency of understanding different cultures and where they're coming from and how they view serious illness or they view skin diseases or they view X, Y, and Z, whatever diagnosis it is. And then the last work I would say I did, because you can see there's like this whole origin story here. I used to work for the Keystone Center at the Michigan Hospital Association. And a lot of my work was around person-centered care, and we were talking about readmissions. It was really also about how do you engage with the community stakeholders? And I love what you said earlier about walk with the doc, and we do that, the whole Gemba walk. But it was the whole idea of we can't do this by ourselves. Health equity, especially as we think about health equity, cannot be healthcare-centric. It has to be in collaboration with others. And so how are we engaging with churches? How are we engaging with faith-based organizations or um, pantries or folks that are providing food in communities? Because they often hear those patient stories and they can translate those patient stories into what it could look like from the implementation side for healthcare in many ways. The whole idea, we don't have all the answers. And I think it comes with the idea of cultural humility that you have to come into this work with. And I think when you come in with humility, um, that actually helps build patient trust because often so many patients felt like their doctor didn't listen to them or brush them off or thought they knew the right answer. And so I think those are some of the areas that can really help build that trust and not just build trust, but being trustworthy, which I think is actually a better way of how we should frame that. It requires ongoing action. 
Well, it, it does. And, and I think the ongoing action and that humility that you spoke about is really essential. And it's something we're learning. I don't think we've arrived. And I don't think a lot of our integrated delivery systems are there yet. But I think, you know, kind of building off what you said, and this may be a little bit of, of kind of some of the overlapping answer, but, you know, how can the healthcare system improve to encourage people of all ethnicities and races to feel comfortable with receiving care, approaching care, but even trusting the providers? And I like the one thing you talked about engaging the community. Anything else you wanted to add uh, to that point? Well, I also think it's important as we're also talking about increasing diversity in the profession of medicine, um, which is still not there yet. Um, And many people and not saying that just because you look like someone, you cannot, you give the best care or vice versa, but it does make a difference in ask um, as a team environment, think of a medical team and being able to bounce ideas off of each other. That whole idea that I said earlier around collective intelligence. Um, but then I think just having a person-centered care approach is key. And if I may, one of the frameworks that I use a lot around how do we think about leadership comes from a framework that um, is from the Harvard Kennedy School. It's called the 4P framework of leading with intentionality. And they kind of talk about four Ps. And I think if every provider kind of thought about this, this might help. One is around perspective. So the first P is around perspectives. This idea of cultural humility, you know, you only see one perspective. So it's important to talk to many different people. This gets into the community engagement or talking to your own staff that may not look like you to understand and be curious about like, what am I missing? This idea that I don't have all the facts and that requires deeper inquiry. The second is a privileging with process. And one of my favorite quotes by Deming is, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. And so how do we, knowing that everything we do within medicine, every process we create privileges one group and may disadvantage another group. And so really taking an audit of our systems creating these inequities. We've saw it so much with even scheduling and when they decide to put a practice in one location or not, and there's no transportation, it's having that mindset of, thinking about the process. The third is um, people. Knowing that as we're trying to figure out all of this work around health equity, there's an emotional toll that's happening with people that will have to still experience this inequity because we're taking our time with it. So this is my sense of a call to action for people (laughs) to start thinking about this sooner rather than later, because we're also making a choice that it's okay for those folks to be harmed while we wait. And so it requires, let's start learn, and then start again, learn again, That really that PDCA cycle. And then the last thing I would probably leave folks with as they're thinking about how to p- make people feel more trustworthy and thinking about how do we dismantle inequities is about projection. What's the story that's going to be told about you as a provider five, 10 years from now? But what are other people, people that don't look like you, going to say about you? And I think when you frame that in your mind, it changes your perspective on what you need to do to improve and really have that growth mindset. Excellent. All great points. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to remember those four Ps, by the way, because I think those are extremely helpful. That's all we have for today. From all of us at AGMC, thank you for listening to this Managed Carecast. Please tune in for part two of this podcast series, where we will delve further into how to incorporate race, culture, and ethnic backgrounds into treatment decisions and care. For more updates in managed care, be sure to visit AJMC.com 
and sign up for our e-newsletter. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks again for listening.